This is my village experience. I'm your host, Mesa Saul. Welcome. Hi villagers, today we have Shelby and she's gonna tell us a lot about uh, mental health, Muslim link and so many subjects and I'm so excited to yes. have her today yes. in the show. So hi Shelby, welcome hi. in the show. Thank you, thank you. How are you today? I'm, I'm okay. It's, <laughs> How was your weekend? <laughs> it's been usual, it's just the usual. I just, you know, work on the website and you know, prepare for my stand-up comedy and that sort of thing. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I'm going to get back to that yeah. <laughs> at some point. So right from the top, three essentials, what would they be? That's hard. Yeah. I, that's actually really difficult. I mean, three like adjectives. I mean, I guess it would be um, ENTP. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to say ENTP. So for people who know Myers-Briggs, that's mm-hmm. my Myers-Briggs four letters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, resilient and resourceful. Okay. And what about the EN- ENTP? ENTP? So for people who are familiar with Myers-Briggs, so like it's um it's actually something that sometimes people use in business, but you know, like again, it's a bit of a pseudoscience, but there's some evidence to it, but it's based on um it was developed by psych- by psychologists mm-hmm. um to sort of say that people have kind of almost like a personality type. Yeah. But I, now the argument is that like it looks like it does actually test something, but it's probably not personality. Mm-hmm. It probably has maybe to do with the way we interact. Absolutely. Um so ENTP stands for E is extroverted. Okay. Um N is intuitive. Okay. So I kind of make up my mind for myself. Mm-hmm. I don't really like I'll assess a situation and then make a decision internally Absolutely. on my own. And then T is thinking. Um, so I often will use sort of a logic over maybe an emotional mm-hmm. response. Mm-hmm. And then P is perceptive. So it means like I don't, um, I kind of, again, will make decisions based on the situation Absolutely. versus like um, this idea that there's only one way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I put that out there because when I did my Myers-Briggs and I've done mm-hmm. it a few times, mm-hmm. um, it really helped me understand like the way... I look at the world, but also like why I get into conflict with a certain yes. people I get into conflict mm-hmm. with because being an ENTP is actually very unlikely that you will be a religious person. Mm-hmm. It's actually mm-hmm. based on like the research they've done in it. Cause so many people mm-hmm. take these tests. Mm-hmm. They found that ENTPs are most likely to be atheists. Mm-hmm. And it's partly because we're just, um, we're good debaters. Mm-hmm. We're able to play the devil's advocate mm-hmm. and like, we won't just take, an argument at face value we try to deconstruct it so but i feel there's a lot of advantages to that like i think that it makes life hard in some ways um particularly as a woman because actually Mm -hmm. there's less women who have Mm -hmm. that um and there's some evidence that we're more likely to be bullied by other women because Mm -hmm. it's a personality like it's a it's a type that's very people don't know how to deal with it Mm -hmm. um but i think it's from like the kind of things i've been able to do it's been really helpful because oftentimes people think oh you see things from a different perspective and it's Mm -hmm. Not really that. It's simply that I just look, I don't take the perspective mm. at the surface. Pretty I kind absolutely. of examine it. And what about the resilience? <laughs> resilient. I mean, I think that's what other people say about me. I don't really know if I like that word, but it's often been said about me. And um, just because I've, I've gone through a lot of things. Personally, I just think a lot of people 
don't have a choice but to be resilient. Mm-hmm. I think it's a weird mm-hmm. concept. I find it's a word that's become really popular, but I feel like it's sort of just like, I don't know. It's a weird yeah. term. Like a lot, it's sort of like you, you kind of have to be resilient or you die. Mm-hmm. But I feel it is something in terms of understanding like my perspective because again, coming along with not taking things at, sur- at face value is mm-hmm. like when you, you're somebody who survived a lot of different things like abuse or like just really traumatic events, mm-hmm. your perspective on the world too becomes very different. Absolutely. And so you learn to rely on yourself a lot more. Yes. So, and that's a good thing in some ways, mm-hmm. but again, it's also something that can make it difficult navigating certain spaces. Absolutely. And yeah. what about the, your third essential? Yeah, the resourcefulness. Well, mm-hmm. that just comes from, you know, when you grow up um, without very many, much money or means, mm-hmm. you learn how to try to make things work mm-hmm. without money. So I often find myself really frustrated when I'm with people who are like, oh, we can't do this unless we have funding. And I'm like, okay if it's needed then we have to figure out how to do it we yes. can't sit around and wait for funding like that's a very privileged thing to do Absolutely. <laughs> um and it's very dangerous like i think it makes people trapped and mm-hmm. i think so i think being resourceful is like okay well, like it might not be the fanciest thing but did we do what we need to do and make Absolutely. it work so for me i'm more focused on like like i like a crowdfunding approach mm-hmm. to life where mm-hmm. it's like okay i don't need to get a big thing of money from one person yes. i can get little bits of money from lots of people Mm -hmm. and the same thing with like okay well maybe i can't hire this person but maybe there's somebody who can volunteer to do this and it's just why it's important to know so many different people because the truth is we have so many people who have different skill sets Mm -hmm. but we don't connect them Mm -hmm. enough the human connection as mentioned earlier yeah from there about your background where are you from uh it's interesting so i'm born born and raised in ottawa okay so i've actually never and i've lived in the house i lived in since i was five so i've lived there for almost 35 years mm-hmm. and um but my my mother's french canadian german american so i was raised in english but kind of culturally i would identify as, as french canadian okay um but uh, are I, you fluent in french uh <laughs> i wouldn't say that to a french speaker i mean okay. i understand it mm-hmm. but i was raised in english and i wasn't put in immersion because for class like again the interesting structures like around who gets immersion and who doesn't yes. Um, so you, you find like a lot of people in my neighborhood are actually of French Canadian origin, but they didn't put their kids in immersion because for like class wise, like socioeconomically, yes. you weren't permitted or like those mm-hmm. programs weren't offered to you. Yeah. Absolutely. So in, in Ottawa, very much active French immersion is very much about social class. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and, um, so you have a lot of people who can speak French, but they don't know anything about French Canadians. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes even don't like French Canadians and have this weird idea, like issues with the accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas for me, like I identify as culturally French Canadian because like I know that history. Okay. Um, you know, if I interact with French Canadians and they see my name, it's very interesting it, the reactions yes, I'll get because yeah. it's a very, um, <laughs> it's a very French Canadian name. Yeah. It's instinctively, it's a very Acadian name. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole genealogy to it. And, um, so that's an aspect of, of being French Canadian. I think mm-hmm. it's important for people to understand is that like, it's, we're people, mm-hmm. we're complicated people. And a lot of people don't like us because mm-hmm. we're so different. <laughs> we're like, colonizers who got colonized (laughs) um but it's important to understand like again this whole drive to be bilingual Mm -hmm. had a lot to do with trying to like overcome the two solitudes which Mm -hmm. were cultural solitudes more so than linguistic and i would argue that like as much as we've been working on the linguistic side we've not really worked on the cultural side (laughs) and um so and then my father's nigerian but again like i mean for anyone who's african knows mm-hmm. it's like what does that even mean so yeah. like because nigeria is such a huge country, country so much yeah. diversity absolutely like a lot of countries in, in africa exactly <laughs> i mean the, the borders were made up by some yes. random you know british exactly. people or french people mm-hmm. and like and the case of nigeria was just because they they didn't want to have like they should have made two states they didn't yes. want to have more than one governor general mm-hmm. They couldn't be imaginative to come up with another name. So you have Niger that's just a, like colonized by the French mm-hmm. 
and then you have Nigeria. And so then when you actually, like, it's, they're both the same name. <laughs> yes. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and it's just named after Niger, which means, like, which they named that because it was black. <laughs> yes. Like, it's, it's a ridiculous thing. <laughs> so, but what's interesting is that my father, um, so my father, I didn't actually grow up with him because he was deported when I was, like, around one years old. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know much about him because contact was cut off, really, yeah. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, um, just out of curiosity, when I started learning more about Nigeria, I realized it wasn't a thing. Like, yeah. it wasn't, there wasn't a Nigerian language. Yeah. There's not, like, it's like, it's all these different things. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I should try to find out what my father's ethnic group was. Mm-hmm. And so I went to Nigerian High Commission, and then it ended up becoming this whole thing because it ends up my father's last name. Everyone who has that last name is related. Okay. It's a very yeah, distinctive last name. That's how it works most of the time. Well, no. And this, there's actually a whole story behind yeah. it. So it ends up the last name. I don't. I never pronounce it right. But yeah, it's yeah. Onie Mofe. And it's actually not a name. It's a sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and the reason why everyone has this, it, everyone's related is because it was actually the name that my great-grandfather, um, when he became a Christian, mm-hmm. he took the pet name that his mother had given him. And his mother had been a slave. Okay. So to honor her he took on the pet name she gave to him and what's very interesting about it is that like she was a slave from a different ethnic group okay so our like my father's family is Ija, mm-hmm. which is an indigenous community from the niger delta mm-hmm. in, in in southern nigeria but my but um my great-grandmother's mother was um yoruba okay yeah yoruba. and even at one point even he he tried to find her people like she was okay. taken as a child yeah. And he tried to find her people, but he wasn't able to. And like, it looks like they were from AJ, AJ mm-hmm. Ode, Ode. And, um, so it's a very interesting origin story. So that's why we all have this yeah, last yeah. name. Mm-hmm. And then like that story. Mm-hmm. And again, um, so what happened was that like a woman who was sort of in Ottawa at the time, my father was in Ottawa. She's like, Oh, I recognize that name. And, yeah. and, and so this long, it's a very long story. But anyway, yeah. through like just her talking to one of her friends who ended up being friends with my father, who had seen my father like 10 years previously, he cool. randomly ran into him in Lagos. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> then he's like, Oh, I'm going to go back. I'll go back to like the corner, the street <laughs> corner I ran into him. In. Oh, yeah. And again, like you understand how huge Lagos yes, is. Yes, of course. That's, that's so like, random. That's so random. Yeah. Um, so then he went there and then like there was a Malam there. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Malams are they're generally Muslim, but they're the money lenders, yes, the money, yes. like they, they trade the currency. Mm-hmm. So the Malam there actually was the one who was like, oh yeah, I know who you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, I see him at the market sometimes. <laughs> so then like within wow. a week, he was able to find my father. Okay. And then that's how I reconnected with my father. And so then through that, it was a whole kind of like, oh, this whole story I've been told about my origins was not yeah, really what was true. Mm-hmm. And then he had all these documents. He'd been mm-hmm. trying to find me. Like, it was a very sad, complicated thing. But um, so then I actually was able to crowdfund like about 10 years later to go see my father in Nigeria in 2012, oh, wow. um, which was a big deal. Because mm-hmm. at that time, the president of Nigeria was from our ethnic group, okay, which was a okay. big deal because like our ethnic yeah, group absolutely. is like a pretty marginalized group. Mm-hmm. Like we're the group that... um. Our, our ethnic group is a group that was like blowing up oil rigs. Okay, okay. Because um, <laughs> it's pretty fascinating. Because you had Bo- like you had Boko Haram that was doing stuff, and then you had our group. And in, that was in do- about what year was it? This is like about? all around like 2012 okay, when I was okay. there. But that that time there was an amnesty. Okay, so what's yeah. a really interesting thing when I was there though is that I learned this other aspect of the history of Boko Haram, which was that at one point part of Boko Haram wanted the same amnesty that my father's ethnic group got. Okay, wow. And instead, their leader was killed, and it just led to this whole thing. And so that sh- mm-hmm. there wasn't even really one Boko Haram. Yeah, so like so. at one point, I actually met with a woman, uh, the lead, like the executive director of a women's organization mm-hmm. um, in Lagos, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I just come from meeting with Boko Haram." I'm like, "What do you mean you just met with Boko Haram?" She's like, "Well, we were in the north because like 
again, women's organizations in Nigeria just put anyone here to shame yeah, <laughs> in terms of like the way like they use sort of that women, women, like Denise women mm-hmm. to try to bridge the differences between ethnicity and religion Absolutely. to have common ground. So when they had been up there, she'd actually they'd been planning like a demonstration mm-hmm. of women mm-hmm. against both Boko Haram, but also the security forces because Boko Haram, of course, was replacing everyone yes. and causing all the problems. But the security forces were like taking people's food and raping everybody. Which so it, women so women from both sides were like y'all suck yeah y'all suck okay like mm-hmm. so they were bringing women together on that and then through that she was able like through the women she was able to meet with like some people from Boko Haram and then sort of understood that there's like split like sort of like um there was a Boko Haram that kind of probably had wanted to make some sort of conciliation there's a Boko Haram that basically had become like mercenaries for hire yeah, yeah. and then there was like the really hardcore ideological Boko mm-hmm. Haram and of course, that's all kind of grown and, yes. and caused all sorts of chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, what was interesting is that that time I, I had a chance to meet the vice president of Nigeria. Oh, and like, mm-hmm. it was, like, it was all this sort of really fascinating stuff. Um, just because, and even though my father's very poor, like my father never rebuilt his life. He never remarried. Um, and I, fa- like my family is pretty, like he's poor by Nigerian mm-hmm. standards. Mm-hmm. Um, for somebody who speaks five languages and yeah, had, a, yeah. you know, had university education and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. he just... He was just so broken mm-hmm. from getting deported that he didn't really build his life. But because he's an elder and because he's seen as a very intelligent man, like mm-hmm. all these people from the ethnic group kind of really love him. Absolutely, and yeah. so, like when I was Contrary there, to here, then people rely more on what you have in your pocket. Exactly. Then you know. Yeah. <laughs> so evil. it's it's sad because yeah. I mean it, it's it was a very you know it was a very sad experience yes. because it's like would have been like to grow up with him you know mm-hmm. and like also like I always tell people like from that experience of being like okay be careful who you have kids with. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of times women think, oh, I can fix him, I can fix him. I'm like, no, no. you're going to have a kid that's going to be like that. Because the fascinating thing, I, I, you know, meeting my father mm-hmm. is realizing, like, I am basically just the product of my mother and my mm-hmm. father. Mm-hmm. There's things with like about my father that are so similar, but there's nothing, like, their personality traits it's, or their interests mm-hmm. or their worldviews. Yes. They have not, like, they, were, yeah. they, they would seem like nurture, but it seems almost like a genetic thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're like, oh. Be very careful who you have kids yeah, with. Absolutely. <laughs> because, yeah, my father's attitude towards religion is incredibly open. Like, mm-hmm. he is Catholic now. He's gone mm-hmm. through six different denominations mm-hmm. of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Catholic twice. Um, but he had no problems with me being Muslim mm-hmm. because he went to a Muslim high school because it was cheaper than the Christian one. Yeah. And Which that's just normal in the South. Like that, <laughs> no that, problem That's at all. the thing. Like, I, And, again, also, like that was the thing that really struck me. Mm-hmm. And it's been really struck me by Nigerians, and it's something that really frustrates me sometimes when I interact with the Muslim community or mm-hmm. Christian communities here. I'm like, everyone acts like, oh, we're so open here that, like, you know, Muslims and Christians talk to each other. I'm like, that's everywhere in Africa. Yeah, basically. Like, in Africa, people are part of the same families. Uh, and, and just what you mentioned, my yeah. mom actually went to a Catholic school yeah. basically most of her life. That's a lot of, and like, a lot of... She has a Muslim name. I know, there's Catholic <laughs> so. schools across the Muslim world. Yeah, and, and people actually sometimes even go there more yeah, people, than... A lot of, particularly they like yeah. to sell their daughters there too. Like exactly. even in Pakistan, all those places. But also again, like particularly in southern Nigeria, particularly in a lot of these places, mm-hmm. like um, there's a lot more. I think also a lot of people don't realize in a lot of um, these countries, there's actually a lot more freedom of religion. Again, yes. it's regional, mm-hmm. but like missionaries mm-hmm. are everywhere. You everywhere, have every, yeah. every missionary you can think of. Mm-hmm. So people can move through different denominations mm-hmm. of Christianity. You can move between Islam and Christianity mm-hmm. um, pretty easily mm-hmm. um, in lots of countries in Africa. Yes, exactly. And so... We have much more to learn from a lot of African countries mm-hmm. than we do to learn from here. Yeah. So I always find that really frustrating, like, interacting with so many people. Because even, mm-hmm. again, for a lot of Muslims, I realize like, a lot of Muslims come from countries where, like, the dominant group is just Muslims. Yes. So they also don't really understand exactly. 
or relate to or sometimes even i think they look down on like african muslim communities mm-hmm. but it's like but it's because we interact with everyone yeah, else absolutely. Like, you're the ones that are kind of weird exactly. being all so like 100 you're one, one thing <laughs> yeah right and i think i'll find mm-hmm. that true for like ethiopians or Eritreans mm-hmm. or whatever there's like mm-hmm. we're used to interacting with different religions you mm-hmm. all need to chill exactly yeah you need to <laughs> <laughs> we've been really doing chill. remember the time when like you guys fled and yeah. then like the king of ethiopia let you come <laughs> in you've been doing this for a while you all need to chill <laughs> so it's very um so yeah so that side too has been interesting and then recognizing also being indigenous like so my father like our family like because um the Egypt have only become christian mm-hmm. some Egypt are muslim too but um but Egypt have only become christian really recently so um there's still a lot of knowledge about mm-hmm. our indigenous mm-hmm. traditions Absolutely. and our origin story so like every Egypt child so even like a reg- my original birth certificate mm-hmm. my name was different my name is shelby tamara ami oni emofe yes. so every Egypt child is, is given um mm-hmm. a name that has to do with the creator spirit. Mm-hmm. So it's depending on your dialect. Um, my father's dialect is Shamara. Yeah. Other dialects is Wayingi. Okay. But that's a creator. Okay. Who's a goddess. Okay. And she created everything. And then there's like a pantheon. So there's like a warrior god named Ibesu, who's a god of justice. So a lot more like particularly my group is like really into Ibesu. My yeah. dad's like, you have yeah. Ibesu power. I'm like, how do you reconcile this with your Catholic faith? He's like, it's it's fine. I'm it's, like, okay. Yeah, there's no overthinking it. He's a very big thinker. He just still thinks it's fine. Yeah. So like it's been interesting that that, that too because I think unfortunately particularly for anyone who follows an Abrahamic faith mm-hmm. we often forget it's like no everywhere in the world had indigenous traditions absolutely, absolutely. and often we think negatively about those traditions and it's like why though because a lot of times like we could disagree with it but if you look closely it's often still very much the idea of there's only one creator mm-hmm. and people just sort of it's almost like if Allah like the 99 names of Allah mm-hmm. were personified by different yeah, things absolutely. that's really what's going on yeah. it basically is not an equal to that's basically tomorrow. what I understood too at some point right? uh, learning around indigenous uh, regions yeah. and spiritualities so, th- so um, it's important to understand and also like it's our ancestors yeah. right <laughs> so like whether or not we follow or not we still have to understand it's like this is our ancestors mm-hmm. so it's important to understand what our ancestors exactly. did and like how they lived and all of how those they lived and what was important wise. to them and how they lived with the earth like mm-hmm. how they lived like our people lived on the water and like mm-hmm. just so I feel like that's been interesting to you, just sort of being somebody who is, you know, a convert to Islam, but also recognizing, like, a lot of Muslim communities have to really know more about their specific histories mm-hmm. and understand that, like, you know, like, because you'll have a lot of Muslims being here, like, oh, it's so mad, bad what they did to indigenous people. Like, you've done the same thing to yeah, indigenous people, too. You're still yeah. doing it right now in Indonesia right now. It's yeah. actually happening. So, like, shut up. <laughs> like, you know, like, just everyone understand, like, a lot of these problems are, like, human problems. Absolutely. And people will use religion to justify horrible things. Exactly. And, you know, in Canada... There's a bit more openness about talking about mm-hmm. it, but the truth is this is happening everywhere in the world. Yeah. So don't feel superior. <laughs> Check yourself. You know? Definitely. Yeah. And um, growing up in Ottawa, uh, what did you want to become? I didn't have any ambitions. So I think that's the thing to understand. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, I think if I'd been raised by my father, it would have been different because my father would have been that immigrant kind Mm -hmm. of thing. But um, I think what people have to understand for a lot of people here, there is no, um, there is no hopefulness about becoming any more, anything more than you are. Okay. And I think that's something a lot of immigrants or refugees don't understand. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they look down on poor people here and think like, well, they have all this opportunity. Why are they not doing anything about it? But you have to understand like, people are controlled here through their minds basically yeah so like the idea of even finishing high school wasn't something i was raised yeah, with definitely it not. was a fluke that i finished high school mm-hmm. it was my and it was not something my mom expected mm-hmm. so because i grew up on welfare and social housing and you know i still live in the same social housing mm-hmm. house that I, I i was born into and it's not like there's no idea that you're going to get out of that mm-hmm. so 
that idea comes a lot for refugees and immigrants. A lot mm-hmm. of refugees and immigrants are like, yes. you're going to, even if we're here now, you're going to be a doctor, lawyer, and engineer. Mm-hmm. But you have to understand for a lot of white kids who grew up in poverty or other racialized kids who grew up in poverty, mm-hmm. that's never what you think. Yes. You're never going to be more than what you are. Exactly. And so there's not that pressure of, you know, becoming a, an architect or. Yeah, no, but, it's, but it's, it's something, but it's also something akin to hopelessness. Mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. even seem like it would be something possible. Mm-hmm. And so. People think it's this laziness, but it's not. You just literally don't think these things are possible for you. Yes. And so it's actually kind of a learned helplessness. Mm-hmm. Um, that has a lot to do with the way in which, you know, if you are dependent on social assistance or even if you're working, right? A lot of people in my neighborhood, I would say the majority of people in my neighborhood are working mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they do seasonal work or they do like really, you know, you just never think of more. You just never yes. think more is possible. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lack of. So I feel like for me, even like the thing I'm most passionate with is sort of that type of poverty, that poverty that makes you feel like you're not part of the society. You're not part of the society. Mm -hmm. Because even like I'll say that to immigrants be like, oh, these people, it's their country. I'm like, I didn't really feel like it was my country. (laughs) Like it had nothing to do with me being Milak. It was more Mm -hmm. just like we weren't important politically. Mm -hmm. We weren't important. Like, so, I mean, (sighs) yeah, I think that's the thing to try to understand about poor white people Mm -hmm. is that like, and particularly also now that like I would say a lot of times poor white people are being um, used mm-hmm. around issues right white nationalism mm-hmm. and that sort of thing too they're, they're kind of a pawn Absolutely. but it doesn't help if everyone else also looks down on them yeah, too definitely, right definitely. so there needs to be like um, a real understanding of like and even again with, with colonial history you have to understand like probably I mean I know at least in my case my ancestors were very little too like if you look mm-hmm. at French Canadians mm-hmm. I mean, those of us who stayed here were the ones who couldn't go back to France yes, after the absolutely. British came. Yes. We were the ones, that, like, so it was just the church mm-hmm. and a lot of illiterate peasants mm-hmm. and farmers. Mm-hmm. So, well, not really pe- yeah, farmers. Mm-hmm. And, like, we, so we've never really been well off, mm. right? <laughs> kind of generationally. Mm-hmm. So it's important to understand that in terms of like trying to assess like why are like why are people doing these things like you have to understand the whole history of it exactly and then fight back but fight back understanding that absolutely and and also why there's a bit resentment because i think oftentimes you know immigrants come here and they and they do pretty well but Mm -hmm. they do well because they had a plan yeah like you go into thing with a plan and you work together. It looks better. <laughs> you're going to do better. Yeah. And then, you know, people who are white look here and they're just like, what? Or even indigenous communities mm-hmm. look here and they're like, why are you guys doing better mm-hmm. than everyone else? And it's like, well, it's because white people and indigenous people have been broken in a different way. Mm-hmm. You yes. have a plan. And in many ways, you weren't allowed to have a plan, Absolutely. I would argue. Absolutely. Right? Um, so immigrants came here with a plan. They have those family connections that keep people yes. together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's important for immigrants to understand that, like, not to look down on these other people. It's like, because there's people probably in your homelands mm-hmm. that would never get a chance to Definitely. leave the country Definitely. who are broken the same way. Mm-hmm. So it's instead to be like, maybe like it's great I have these opportunities in society, but mm-hmm. maybe the society is not as safe as it looks. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And uh, what about Muslim Link? What led you to that? Well, and so how did it happen, basically? Basically, it actually has to do with my trip to my, see my father. So okay. um, I was crowdfunding to see my father. And then I realized just like actually going there and seeing how my father lived, I would probably feel very, um, I'd probably feel like I needed to financially support him because mm-hmm. I mean, he was older, he'd had a stroke. So I was looking at trying to, like at that time I was working with the police and everything like that, but I was looking at, I needed to have extra money just to send to my dad. And so um, I always was seen as a person who's really good at sharing information. Mm-hmm. So I was sent a job opportunity with Muslim Link 
not because anyone thought I would take it on, but mm-hmm. because they thought I would share it with everyone else. Absolutely. But something about it, when I saw it, like I just had this feeling. And sometimes I get these feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've learned, unfortunately, when I don't follow them, that usually like it's it's bad. So I got this feeling that I was supposed to I was supposed to apply myself. Mm-hmm. And so then I did. And originally it was simply just to um, take care of the paper, because it was a physically a paper originally, yeah. just for mm-hmm. Ottawa, mm-hmm. just to make sure the paper was distributed across the city to make sure that people who had bought ads paid their yeah. debts mm-hmm. and collected past debts. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then just to make sure like the paper, like all the articles would come together and be mm-hmm. put together. Mm-hmm. Um, that was it. Okay. That's all I was hired to do. Mm-hmm. And it was just because the person who did that, like who was the owner of mm-hmm. it, he was in Dubai. He was working in Dubai. Mm-hmm. So when I came onto it, like I didn't really have any expectations of it. I never read the paper myself. Yeah. It was kind of like, I, I looked at it like a yearbook. Like okay. it was sort of just like only popular Muslim people talking yeah, about popular Muslim popular, people. Yeah. Right. Like that's like my a whole, popular culture. Right well, no, I, well, I was, no, it's even worse than that. Yeah. Like I would say, it's, it's, I, I would say a lot of dynamics in the Muslim communities mm-hmm. are like high school. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you went to high school here, but mm-hmm. um, just sort of like, it's like even your student government. It's like you don't feel that represents you, yeah. but like that's often what gets in the yearbook because mm-hmm. you're just supposed to like it's not the whole community. Mm-hmm. So that's and again, like I converted at 22, so I'd already been Muslim for like over 10 years, mm-hmm. and that's been my general assessment is that like we have a huge community, a very diverse community, but there's no connection between sort of these Absolutely. self-appointed leaders mm-hmm. and the rest of the community. Okay. But then when I started actually just like, and I, again, I don't really f- know why. I really feel this is just like, again, some things are just written. Mm-hmm. I started just looking through and then I realized there was a website. <laughs> and I was like, oh, there's a whole website. And then I realized it was built in this very interesting way. So the owner of it had built this website that had like an events listing and a directory listing and then the thing and for stories. Was, but it wasn't being used. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and the idea is like, oh, well, people put up their own things. I'm like, no one's going to do that. Yeah. Our community doesn't it do doesn't that. It doesn't work like that, basically. Um, so then I just started just being like, I have this weird compulsion sometimes to collect things. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, you know, I was like, why don't you teach me how to put things on this website? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you then, th- and no one had actually ever asked that before. No one, like, no one had ever asked us to know how to do it themselves. <laughs> and I was like, oh, just to teach me. And then so he taught me. And then mm-hmm. through that, I just started, like, populating the events listing, yeah. populating the directory, and then I was like, you know, maybe I could just write stories or something. And then when I looked back, I was like, because I realized, like, financially, he was putting all this money out of his own pocket mm-hmm. to keep it going. And I remember thinking, like, why is he doing this? Yeah. And I, I remember, like, goal? <laughs> what is his purpose? But um, but then when I started even just learning more about Muslim newspapers, I realized that actually, like, a lot of Muslim newspapers are nonprofits. Yeah. And even those ones don't survive. They basically. They so survive. even across North America, mm-hmm. a lot of Muslim newspapers have not survived. No, so I was like, well, so he's just trying to keep it alive. But the reality is that I realized, like, and then also, like, I thought it was run by really el- older people. Oh, yeah, and they don't know every- much about the internet. And then it ends up everyone was younger than me. Yeah. So I'm like, why are you? And I was like, do your friends really? Like, so I talked to the owner, like, do your mm-hmm. friends read this? Like, I, th- my friends don't even know I own it. I'm like, why don't you tell them <laughs> that? And so it was really interesting. So th- I, I basically was like, we need to make this the something you want to read. Yeah, definitely. So I'm like, that's what we're going to do. So I just changed the attitude. I started populating with things. I started mm-hmm. building up the social media. Um, I started looking at what had been the most popular articles. Mm-hmm. And I'm fascinated that the most popular articles had generally been ones um, that were of interest to the Somali community, which okay. is a very large community yeah, in Ottawa. absolutely. But which, because of systemic racism mm-hmm. in the Muslim community, yeah. ha- had not really been like properly engaged mm-hmm. and and then again oftentimes even like you can see even with some of the articles that have been written like articles written by the smaller community or actually an art, old article that i was asked mm-hmm. to write like a, um like a year before for black history month those are really popular articles written about, about the smaller community but in a way that like 
like when you write a story, you have to think about the gaze. Mm-hmm. Who do you think your intended audience Absolutely. is? So I could see that some stories have been written about the Somali community, but they were not written. They didn't engage. Well, they wrote them as if they're writing for people who weren't Somali. Like, okay. It's like they, it didn't even cross their mind that Somali people read this article about themselves. Tells, yeah. And that, and again, these are trained journalists, mm-hmm. but that's a problem too. Like these are Muslim people too, yes. and a lot of these are Muslim people who are like very critical of mainstream yeah, media. But yeah. I'm like, okay, but you're critical of mainstream media, but you're doing the same, same creepy yeah, thing. Exactly, you're working the same way. The so same a time. lot of is that I'd always had a history of, of um, doing facilitation on anti-racism, on anti-oppression, which is where like you look at the variety of ways in which people yeah. are marginalized mm-hmm. and which in which you have privilege. So you have Absolutely, to go both, yeah. right? It's yeah. like I can be all like I'm so marginalized, but it's like, but I also have a lot of privilege. Basically. And what was really interesting in sort of assessing that is realizing that that there was like. And then also in the Shia community, which is a very large Shia mm-hmm. community here in Ottawa, mm-hmm. um, was rumored to be dumping the papers. Mm-hmm. Like, we drop it off their stores, and there's rumor that they were dumping it. Mm-hmm. I was like, check could it, it be? And then I found out that we wouldn't do any stories about the Shia community. Okay. And that was a kind of unwritten policy. Exactly. And I'm like, okay, well, could, could, it, could, it be, so could it be that they know that and they're dumping it? It's like, well, I don't think that, I don't know how they know that. I'm like, yeah. I think they'd figure it out after reading it enough. Probably. So then, like, a lot of different things happened. So, like, mm-hmm. um, eventually I was like, listen, for some reason... I decided I want to make this financially viable. Otherwise, it's not going to survive. And I think I can do this by just like making it relevant, not discriminating against anyone. Like we had a policy that like we would only publish photos of women if they covered their oh, hair. Yeah. So we'd even make advertisers which, cover their hair. Which doesn't and I was just like, represent the what? whole community. <laughs> and but then it was really hilarious because like yeah. I was able to make the argument because they were like, well, it's because we distributed the mosque, and that's why I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. Then um, they had Pauline Marois. They put her on the cover. And I'm like, why is she on the cover? And they're like. Well, she's old, so it doesn't matter. I'm like, you guys are like, no, this whole policy. It's like, I just freak out. And then they would just let me do whatever. Yeah, basically, basically. And then like the biggest and sort of final fight was mm-hmm. around. Um, so the Shia Islamic school got number two in the city through the, Fra- the Fraser Institute report. Okay. And I was like, I'm going to do a whole story about it. Absolutely. And there was actually a reluctance yeah. to let me do the story. <laughs> okay. And I was like, I'm going to quit. And at that time, like I, they really needed me. Yeah. So I was like, I don't quit if you don't let me do the story. I can't discriminate. And in the end, we did the story. And then uh, one of my friends went to um, one of the Shia places that had been known for like throwing our paper, mm-hmm. and the paper was right beside the cash. And he was so excited, and she's like, "Oh, you like Muslim?" Like he's like, "I never thought they'd write about us." Really? So it had totally been that they totally knew we were. And what about did the- she say about? I- uh, that view of things. Well, she. Why did she? Th- she knew my. She knew. She knew about what I had been going uh, through. Yeah. So when she was basically able to be like, they like they're so happy. Look at how happy they are that, that <laughs> yeah. you actually wrote about them. Definitely. Like because that's a thing, right? And I and I've I've had a chance to sort of talk to Muslims who are interested in writing and journalism about this. It's like, yeah. listen, you have to understand that you're bringing prejudice with you. Yes. You can focus all you want. You can do a PhD about how prejudiced white yeah. newsrooms are, but you have to understand Muslims do the exact same thing. Yeah. And if you look closely at Muslim media. It, it, even North, North America, it does the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. It's anti-black racist. Mm-hmm. It's often anti-Shia, unless mm-hmm. it's run by the Shia community. Um, it's often anti, like, anyone who's not a doctor, lawyer, and engineer, mm-hmm. which is not the majority of the community. <laughs> they might want their kids to be that, yes. but then they have to be personal support workers mm-hmm. and daycare workers mm-hmm. and drive taxis. Mm-hmm. So it's classist and racist mm-hmm. weird. And then also, or, or a lot of it's just, like, me talking about my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has to change. And I don't have a background in journalism. Like, I actually don't have a background in university at all. Like, I never graduated from university because of my mental illness. And so what was really interesting is that, like, it became more popular. We got more readership. Like, financially, it was becoming more viable. Um, but then I started getting a lot of backlash. Yeah, definitely. For, but not from who you think. <laughs> okay. It wasn't from the uncles. Okay. It wasn't from that. It was from It was from people who... 
I think realize what I because ultimately what I started doing was sharing information. It was breaking down the gatekeeping exactly. of opportunities and so people learn about job opportunities. People learn about scholarships. Absolutely. People learn about things that honestly had been very much kept within yeah. a very select group mm-hmm. of people Exchanging and gave to the their kids. Probably, yeah. Right, yeah. and this was now opening up to like tens of thousands of people. Oh, people yes, you know, because Ottawa is like tens of thousands of Muslims, <laughs> yeah. and a lot of people did not want that because yeah. it's. It's about being like, I'm the spokesperson for the community. Mm-hmm. I am this. So that's the thing. Like, the, the people, the first people who really, really went after me were women who mm-hmm. were probably identified themselves as being, like, open-minded mm-hmm. and inclusive, mm-hmm. but really weren't. Mm-hmm. And so, but again, like, for all the hate I've gotten, and I've gotten a lot of hate. <laughs> like, I've gotten a lot of hate. And, but the owner of Muslim Link, he has to deal with the most of it because people just scream at him in Arabic mm-hmm. about me, which yeah. I've literally witnessed. So disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he stood up because in the end of the day, it, he knows there's all these other people who really appreciate what I'm yeah. doing because, yeah. like, kids are getting jobs from it that otherwise mm-hmm. wouldn't have known. People getting scholarships, people mm-hmm. learning about events. And it's really connecting the whole community. Well, yeah, because people, I mean, people are happy <laughs> if more people know about their event Absolutely. and the more people go to that. Like, at the end of the day, it's not, um, it's bringing the community together yeah. and allowing for people to communicate information. Absolutely. Like, that's a positive thing. Yes. And I, I think ultimately, the anyone anyone's gonna have a problem with that is somebody who, frankly, is trying to control the community. That's the thing. <laughs> and that's not cool. Mm. So. And it's been interesting doing Muslim Link because I mean, I'm also active in the black community. I realize like we don't have something like that in the mm-hmm. black community. And I realize like so many communities need a Muslim Link yeah. of their own. Yeah, exactly. Because, and then what was really fascinating is like, again, we just started in Ottawa. But then I realized, oh, we could, we just realized like just the amount of energy that was taking into doing the physical paper. We just didn't yeah. have it. And like, we just didn't yeah. have the. Takes much more resources. Yeah. And the, we, it's so, so just, we just focused on the online. And, and again, it was so much easier to see the reward from investing absolutely, that time. Absolutely. Uh, but also even for advertisers, like we can tell them how many impressions they got. Like if you put yeah. your ad in a paper, you yeah. don't even know people saw no. it. Um, so we can show people impressions, clicks, that sort of thing. But then I realized, wait a minute, if it's online, it could be national. Yes. So we started just going into different cities. So, like I first I started the Toronto events listing, mm. which became incredibly popular, mm. and then Montreal, and then um, so now we just added Regina. So we have like I have events listings for now for like fourteen cities across the country, mm-hmm. and in the process, I've learned so much about Canada because. Again, I've lived my whole life in Ottawa, but the reality is Canada is not a very... We often talk about immigrants and refugees mm-hmm. integrating, but the mm-hmm. truth is Canada is not very integrated. <laughs> it's very regional, mm-hmm. and it's very it's a big urban-rural divide. Yeah. So I've learned so much from like having to figure out, like, oh, what's going on for Muslims in Halifax? What's mm-hmm. going on for Muslims in Regina? And then yeah. you realize, like, this, what's going on in Regina? Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this is so different than the reality mm-hmm. of Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And, 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 like the troubles that are happening there, yes, the challenges economically, yeah. socioeconomically happening in those countries. like, um, But also like the demographics of Muslim yes. communities in different cities is so Probably, fascinating. Yes. And, so and the more you go to the east or yeah, to the west, like you have like so different uh, interesting. communities. And... and so like filling up the directory listings for that, filling up the events listings for it, like I just learned so much. And it's so fun, really. Um, but that's the thing, like I do do it pretty much almost entirely on my own. Mm-hmm. Like the publisher helps with the physical website. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of content, it's just me. So it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And now, like, I'm trying to figure out how to, like, eventually make it so that it's sustainable outside of both of us, like, both myself and the publisher. Like, how can we make sure this is rise? Because Absolutely. the truth is so many, like, it's become so essential in mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. ways. And, like, that's, like, the last iLead conference that we went to. Like, it was so interesting because we had a lot of people who were from other cities. Mm-hmm. 
just come out to us being like like even some of the people who are v- bizarre vendors like mm-hmm. oh we found out because we have a section for bizarre yes, vendors yes. it's like we found out about Eileen from you and we're like yeah. oh that's amazing mm-hmm. and then like we had people from Toronto being like I'm just here from Toronto and like I just want to say like yeah I like your thing and then like we had some guy who just was new to the country he's like I love you guys mm-hmm. you guys help me find out different things I'm like, this is, like <laughs> that's the power of the internet rather than you know as you mentioned the paper that you cannot really reach all those well yeah because even also like the, the publisher of Muslim Link he's invested so much in SEO mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. like people don't even have to know about Muslim Link they can just search something in google and then and because we put it on muslim link it becomes more accessible to yes, find so again i feel like in the face of a lot of like the challenges of the muslim community um what we're doing is kind of important because mm-hmm. you know how do you both because of dealing with loneliness like mm-hmm. i feel like loneliness is a very serious problem in the society and a yes, lot of people so are coming and can be isolated. Also in canada it's yeah, a huge it's thing huge issue <laughs> yeah. and the reality is also muslim is like yes you can go to a mosque but maybe you don't feel you fit into that mosque yeah. so it's good to know there's other programming that Absolutely. might appeal to you we can connect with other muslims mm-hmm. um or connect with non-muslim things that are mm-hmm. important to you Absolutely. um but then also like just learning about opportunities learning about different things but also just inspiring stories because mm-hmm. that's the thing too like i ch- so some people had an issue with me because they're like oh you're trying to make muslim link mainstream because before it had a lot of um a lot of stories about like international like foreign policy mm-hmm. and like problems like about that about muslim uh, countries and stuff like yeah that. and muslim i sort of cut those out mm-hmm. and so people are like oh you're trying to make it mainstream and i was like no i'm trying to make it more hopeful exactly because a lot of it was just really negative and like i'm not saying those things aren't real but i'm saying like it's part of the truth and it's, it's all but also i'm thinking like sometimes you can touch on those issues in a very different way absolutely so like for example you know when i do profiles of palestinian community mm-hmm. All those policy issues come into that, yeah. but it's also about like, oh, you've made a career doing this, mm-hmm. or oh, you're selling this. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's positive yes. because, frankly, I feel also sometimes like I found a lot of times the people who want to write those negative things, they actually are well off people. Mm-hmm. Whereas like my neighbors are people who actually have family in those countries who are suffering. Mm-hmm. So when you have families in your country suffering, writing a hopeless piece about how negative everything is <laughs> is not something you want to do. No, definitely. You want to no. know that there's something to look forward to and that there's hope. Yes. So I felt like in some ways part of the problem is that people think negative is means you're going to do something and it's not. It means you're going to give yes. up. If you're actually mm-hmm. living through those things, what you want to know is that there's some hope mm-hmm. realistically. Yes. Um, I think it's called critical hope. It's mm-hmm. like. We know things are bad, but we also know that there's a chance that if we it do certain things, we can do something. Yes. Or like you're telling me how I can take an action that can improve something. Mm-hmm. And that's basically how I do things now. It's like it has to be you can take this action. You can learn about this thing or this person overcame this stuff or this person still coping with this situation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're sharing their story and that's mm-hmm. resilience. And talking about hope, uh, can you get us back to July 2017? About, oh, the suicide. Uh, yes. Yeah, the suicide attempt. Um, well, I live with a very serious mental illness. I've lived with it. I was officially diagnosed when I was 15. So that's when I was officially diagnosed with um, dysthymia, which is a, a form of, de- of chronic depression. Mm-hmm. So I've never known, actually, like, it, it, there's a good chance in a lot of us who live with this, we've never actually known what it's like to not be depressed. Absolutely. So... They just often don't like to diagnose depression mm-hmm. in children, mm-hmm. but I had a lot of problems um, as a child, and so I actually like was seeing a social worker when I was like eight because mm-hmm. all of I had all these like academic issues, but they realized that they were um, connected to a psychological problem. Mm-hmm. So it looks like I've probably been living with depression since I was a child, mm-hmm. and a lot of it's related to to trauma yes. within the family I grew up in. And I think the reality we have to understand about suicide mm-hmm. is that. 
I actually think we need to understand it's actually a very normal response. Absolutely. Um, to circumstance. And I would even mm-hmm. argue to a certain extent, mm-hmm. if you look at animals, mm-hmm. a lot of animals commit suicide. They just do it in a very different way. Mm-hmm. I would argue they get depressed and then they isolate themselves yes. mm-hmm. and then they don't eat and then they die. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes when the world gives you certain messages, I think your brain responds by being like, oh, I'm supposed to die. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm really convinced of that now. Mm-hmm. I think we, you know, some people will never cross their mind, but... The reality is it's more likely it didn't cross their mind because they had these other things going on. Mm-hmm. Other so, circumstances. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, no. It's, it's, so there's a theory. There's something called the interpersonal theory of suicide. Mm-hmm. And what they found is that a lot of people can live with a very serious mental illness mm-hmm. and depression and never have those. Never think about suicide. Mm-hmm. So you can have very serious depression and never think about suicide. Mm-hmm. They found that people are likely to think about suicide if there's two other things going on. Well, there's three. The original theory has three things, but the two aspects have been proven by other okay. other um, research. Mm-hmm. So those two aspects are if you feel socially alienated or mm-hmm. lonely, mm-hmm. and if you feel like a burden. Okay. So if you feel socially alienated and lonely, socially isolated, and you feel like a burden, mm-hmm. those are the two things that'll probably push you to attempting okay. suicide. Okay. And so that's why it's very important if you're doing any kind of suicide prevention to actually start understanding it's not just fo- treating the depression. Absolutely. It's also because people can live, live with depression mm-hmm. and never, never attempt mm-hmm. or contemplate. Because you mentioned at some point, uh, I was reading one of your articles mm-hmm. that you said that not everyone that attempts suicide uh, has mental illness. And Yeah. I mean, it could be a very, um, I would argue that there's probably depression that's happened. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it could be a very acute, it could be an over a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Where something's happened and you're like, I need to leave now. And mm-hmm. that could be the best thing. Like, I think, again, people commit suicide in very different ways. Absolutely, absolutely. But a lot of people, I would say, who don't have a personality disorder, because there's that's another aspect of things. Mm-hmm. So people who are not doing it out of, like, revenge, which is more likely to happen if you have a certain type of personality disorder, they're doing it because they think it's actually going to make things better for mm-hmm. everyone. Mm-hmm. Which sounds very strange for I'm sure Absolutely. a lot of people, but yes. but if you understand the social isolation aspect and the sense of being a burden, mm-hmm. well, if I feel like a burden, yes. then I want to stop being a burden. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so, like, my mother died by suicide, and she had attempted throughout my my life, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, I'm very convinced that she thought she was not being a burden, Absolutely. and she was very socially isolated. Mm-hmm. So that's why for me, like, things like Muslim League are so important because both like having stories where people learn mm-hmm. about people who are having similar problems as they Absolutely. are. Or even just basic stuff like, yes. oh, there's an event I can go to because mm-hmm. maybe I'm feeling really lonely at this mm-hmm. mosque, mm-hmm. but maybe if I go to this, you know, paint night or Absolutely. this women's yoga thing, mm-hmm. I'll find other Muslims that I will fit in with. Absolutely. Because social isolation, alienation is such a serious problem mm-hmm. and it's a mental, it's, it's a public health issue. Absolutely. Because not only can it affect your mental health, mm-hmm. it can affect your physical health. And Absolutely. that's been proven scientifically. Mm-hmm. It affects your immune system. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's very important as a community, you know, whatever community we belong to, that we really start thinking about that. But we also understand that, like, and that's why even the issues of, like, bullying, which, again, we think it's a childhood thing, but, I mean, people get bullied at work all Absolutely. the time. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. we have to understand that those are sending very clear messages to mm-hmm. people that push people over the edge a lot mm-hmm. because we're social animals like we forget we're animals but we're a very particular type of animal it's like we're like we're like dogs Mm -hmm. in a way because if you look at any pack animal they're very interdependent and they don't really know what to do on their own human beings are like that because we think about us we're completely useless on our own you need a community you need a community (laughs) and so it seems that we need at least something around 50 people around like we need lots of people we need lots of people because again also at the end of the day like you can be you know Again, it's that other side of being a burden. Yes. 
um, my mom and I just had each other and it was too little mm -hmm. for both of us. Mm -hmm. You need many more people so that no one becomes a burden to another person Absolutely. and then both people get weighed down mm -hmm. and drown. That's why it's simply like it's sort of spreading the weight. Mm -hmm. And that's again, it's, it's a, again, it goes back to my crowdfunding view of life. Yes. It's like, Absolutely. don't have one person have to give you all the money. It's like mm -hmm. a lot of different people give you a little mm -hmm. money. So it's not hurting anybody, exactly. you know, we have to kind of be that way when it comes to um, social support. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's so important that we figure out how to keep up those bonds, because I would argue that, you know, it's really hard. Um, and it was an interesting thing when I would talk to my dad, because sometimes he's asked to mediate things because he's an elder. So he has to mediate things. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, the neighbors are having a fight. So I'll have to be, I invited to come in and then I have to mediate the dispute. I'm like, that's fascinating. <laughs> yes. But I'm realizing like, oh, that's how people like get yeah. stay together. Right. Because <laughs> again, a lot of the mediations for marriages. Mm -hmm. And it's also interesting too, because even like the issue of like domestic violence, like, mm -hmm. I mean, it's definitely an, a serious problem in, in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. But again, even talking to women who've come here as immigrants from other communities, you're like, yes. he would never be able to beat me like, like that. The the can hear Because <laughs> everyone's going to hear and no one minds their own business. Exactly. Exactly. So someone's going to come in, whereas yeah. here it's like, well, I'm not going to yeah. say anything. You know? And you're like... You always take a step back because you don't want to, as you mentioned, yeah. like get into someone's life and yeah, trying to... Yeah, but the know, idea was sort of like, that's uh, yeah. weird if you wouldn't get into someone's life. Absolutely. So like... In Africa, it's definitely weird. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? But it also means you can, I mean, you can cause problems, but you also can yes. prevent a bunch oh, yeah. of problems oh, too. Oh, you can go to jail. <laughs> right? It's, yeah. It can go all ways. It can go all yeah. sorts of ways. That's yeah. the problem with people. Mm -hmm. Like, it's... But ultimately, you know, you can see how it's so important to have people not feel like it's not their problem mm -hmm. and i think definitely you know there's a lot of things like i mean, identify as western like mm -hmm. i find that's another weird thing sometimes when i navigate communities like oh you know western and i'm like i don't know no. how to be anything but western <laughs> um but at the same time like i think there's a lot that could be said so it's going back to what i was saying earlier about like you know immigrant families might do better because everyone's working together yes that is something and the community that, is still again really present in their lives yeah so it's yeah. there's negative things to that but i'm also like there's a whole social safety net there's Absolutely. a whole social welfare Absolutely. thing like so we have to figure out a way of making sure that that's not toxic mm -hmm. but preserving it yes and also rebuilding that for other white people Absolutely. and indigenous people because i'm arguing that, like the breakdown like you know when i talk to people like mm -hmm. you don't talk to your family like i mean in my case like you know I don't have any family. Like, my mom has passed away. My dad's in another country. But, like, for anyone else who does have family, I'm like, okay, unless they, like, abused you, why are you not talking to them? Yes. This is weird. Mm -hmm. And it's not healthy. Mm -hmm. Definitely not. So we need to figure out how to help people preserve their relationships because, number one, the state should be investing in this because it's going to save them money. Definitely. But, like, <laughs> you want to look at it from a taxpayer perspective. <laughs> but it's also one of the things that gives a lot of newcomer communities an advantage. Mm -hmm. It's those ties mm -hmm. that, again, mean that, you know, you're not going to end up homeless because somebody's going to take Absolutely. you in. You're not going to end up like that's the reality people face here. Mm -hmm. It's like there's no one to take you in. Absolutely. And would you say that it's part of the approach that you have uh, towards uh, mental health in general or mental illness as in a way of uh, finding the balance between the community and even the choices that you take on your own? Well, yeah, I identify as like a mental illness advocate because mm -hmm. I'm mentally ill. So... I know for other people it's about managing mental health, but I'm I'm already ill, mm -hmm. and it's not it doesn't there's not a cure mm -hmm. like it's sort of just how my brain works and I have to manage it. I think definitely we have to understand that yes, community sometimes can like I've I met Muslims, I met other people like their community is making them sick, mm -hmm. their family is making them sick, yes. um, and the problem is that there's not a really viable alternative though because leaving the family won't necessarily be a good thing either mm -hmm. because the system is also not really healthy so mm -hmm. it's trying to figure out a way of like 
addressing the fact like when things go toxic and being aware that things can go toxic Mm -hmm. and that's where again as a survivor trauma my perspective comes in because i feel like a lot of people unless you've gone through that you're people are quite naive absolutely and that's why even for me it's like i am muslim i've been muslim for 17 years Mm -hmm. but i like being amongst people i like being able to have the opportunity to study Mm -hmm. but i'm very i don't join things (laughs) i don't join spaces Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of dynamics in those spaces that I find are potentially abusive. They mm-hmm. might not be abusive, but they're mm-hmm. potentially abusive. And unfortunately, when people are really in it, or like unless you have that background, mm-hmm. you can see it more easily than other people can. Absolutely, yes. And so, and it's not a paranoia, unfortunately, because unfortunately, mm-hmm. there's just just a lot of sociopathic people running around, yeah, and a lot mm-hmm. of narcissistic people mm-hmm. running around. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very careful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we have to just always be mindful of like creating checks and balances so that abuses don't happen Absolutely. whether that be within family whether that be within a religious space mm-hmm. and ultimately at the end of the day it's not about being paranoid it's about being accountable mm-hmm. Absolutely. so if everyone understands that like yeah you're a parent but you're accountable for all your actions mm. you can't just hit your kid because yes. you're angry yeah, <laughs> right like i mean it, it's just like that because that you know what your intentions are right? yes. and that's mostly you know what your intentions are it's like Absolutely. there's you know this idea of discipline and then there's like you're just really angry and trying to have a punching bag Absolutely. but you're using your kids Absolutely. like let's just be honest about that like mm-hmm. so you know having those checks and balances are important mm-hmm. and that's why relationships are important to kind of um help us keep those checks and balances Absolutely. because that's another aspect of mental health and relationships that's interesting that anyone who does sort of like family therapy if a couple therapy realizes that actually like oftentimes in the context of a couple yes you could actually deal with a lot of mental health issues Absolutely. because we want to relate yes, to each other. The human connection. Yeah. Basically. So you can actually improve a lot of your outlook. Mm-hmm. Like if you're always sort of being like having these really negative thoughts mm-hmm. and then expressing them. The other person like, this is very, this is a downer. Dark. <laughs> Basically. Can yeah. you stop doing yeah. this? Mm-hmm. And like, you're going to be like, oh, I should. Like, so a lot of, a lot of people can improve if they have a healthy relationship. Absolutely. And given some tools, mm-hmm. a lot of these ways of thinking that are actually mm-hmm. quite destructive can be fixed. Mm-hmm. Um not to say you can fix people. Absolutely. That's another the, Again, it's, it's, it's more in the case of like just regular stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's important to understand that like a lot of the problems I think we're having right now in our societies are probably very much connected to loneliness mm-hmm. because that ways in which you would improve yourself aren't happening because you're completely socially isolated. Absolutely. And then even with social media, it's like, I think the reason why we're seeing social media so violent is because those checks and balances that we naturally have from a face-to-face with a person mm-hmm. aren't there. No. I can say whatever horrible thing. And I've done Anything, it. Like, yes. I've trolled my own friends. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Why am mm-hmm. I doing that? Mm-hmm. Like, our nature is to be very negative and aggressive. Mm-hmm. But often when we're seeing other people and if we have basic empathy, mm-hmm. we stop. But absolutely. I don't see you on social media. Yeah, absolutely. You don't see and the I can, person. And you're like an object. Mm-hmm. And I can just put all my rage out there. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we have to all sort of be checking ourselves and being like, maybe you should get off social media right now mm-hmm. and just do this. So like now for me, a lot of what I'm trying to do is just share something personal about myself mm-hmm. and then share something like positive information. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer like, there's a lot of things I'm angry about. There's a lot of things I'm scared about. And I also don't comment. Mm-hmm. Like unless I'm saying something positive, I never comment on anything mm-hmm. <laughs> because I know that like, again, an a- aspect of depression that people often don't talk about is irritability. Mm-hmm. So the reality is a lot of people who are very seriously depressed, we often can come off as very irritable, very angry, very grumpy, very mean-spirited, mm-hmm. but it's actually depression. Absolutely. Which doesn't mean we're not responsible for our actions. Mm-hmm. It just means, though, that like we have problems regulating our emotions. Absolutely. That means that other people can think the same thing, but they don't say no. it. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas we're trying to, like, we're having... So that's the thing, too. Anyone says, like, it was my mental illness that made me put this tweet out. It's like, mm-hmm. no. 
it was your mental illness that stopped you from having the ability to think before you put the tweet Absolutely, out. Absolutely, yes. Because you, so you were impulsive yes. and you didn't think straight. Mm-hmm. But it didn't put those ideas in your head. Mm-hmm. Your mental illness did not put those ideas in your head. And would you say that uh, the Muslim link, like the the work that you did there, uh, would you take it as your uh, most proud achievement, or um, what, what what is it your most proud achievement? I'm very, I'll be honest. Like mm-hmm. work with Muslim Link has probably helped me more than it's helped anyone else. Mm-hmm. It's given me a reason to wake up in the morning because, like, definitely after my mom's death, I don't really know. Like there wouldn't have been any reason to wake up in the morning, mm-hmm. um, and she died about a year after I started working with Muslim Link. Okay. So, probably without Muslim, like, I wouldn't have gotten through that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't entirely get through it. But definitely working with Muslim Link has been, it's a thing that I do every day. It's a thing that keeps me going. It's a thing I can say, okay, mm-hmm. you know, I might not have been able to leave the house today, but at least I put this stuff out there and somebody now knows about this opportunity Absolutely. and my help. Mm-hmm. So, that's been very helpful for me. Mm-hmm. And I'd probably say to anyone else, like, you know, life is suffering. I think, like, a thing people understand is, like, there was always going to be suffering. Mm-hmm. Often what keeps us going is purpose. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And so I do highly encourage people to figure out a way of finding a purpose. And I think a lot of people are trying to find purpose, but they just need to be honest about it. It's like the reason why this is so important to you is because this is your purpose. Mm-hmm. So I feel we all need that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's sometimes what's lacking. And then people are, you know, really feel empty because they just don't have that. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's given me a lot of purpose. It's been very rewarding. And... It's not my favorite job, but my favorite job mm-hmm. actually was when I, I worked for five years mm-hmm. in local high schools running a program for immigrant and refugee mm-hmm. girls. That was my favorite job. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's been great to maintain relationships with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, I, I always love tutoring. Mm-hmm. So what I love is that um, I think when I'm, I mean, I don't like the word pride. I don't like the word proud. But I think what I, I'm grateful for is that a lot of kids I've known growing mm-hmm. up, or mm-hmm. I still know them. Mm-hmm. Right. And now I've had a chance to become like friends with them. Or like, I mean, I'm, I would say more like I'm a big sister. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to see them grow up and they're still in my orbit. Because I feel like even though it's important to always have boundaries when mm-hmm. you're doing that work, um, at the same time, it's also like, but you, you live with people. Absolutely. And it's, it's, Absolutely. It, I believe it's, it's good to maintain connections. Absolutely. And so I'm grateful that I've maintained so many connections. You know, like I'm, I'm still, you know, my two best friends are f- the friend. Well, three best friends actually are my friends I made in high school mm-hmm. so it's been over 20 years of knowing them um, so those are things I'm grateful for I'm not really proud mm-hmm. of anything mm-hmm. um, it's been neat to see how the way I think can be harnessed into something practical and productive Absolutely. and helpful mm-hmm. that is really neat but I would argue that a lot of us have that mm-hmm. it's just we haven't been given the opportunity to f- figure that out mm-hmm. and I argue a lot of people Or to express it sometimes. Yeah. Yes. And that's mm-hmm. why I feel like... Um, but again, also, I think that's what's really cool about social media. Mm-hmm. In that there's a lot of problems with social yes. media. But at the same time, also, like there's been a a democratization of yes. storytelling yes. that has happened. Mm-hmm. So you have like people with very limited things, mm-hmm. like the internet and a phone. Mm-hmm. And they're able to produce all sorts of different perspectives Absolutely. and stories and things, and, and which you never would have heard before. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome absolutely that's so you know and we're living in a bit of a just troubling age yeah. because we have a lot of misinformation mm-hmm. out there we have mm-hmm. like the rise of just hatred because 
everyone who hated people have found a community of people who also hate <laughs> people. Have now they don't now. have to feel alone in their <laughs> hatred. Yes. Um, you know, so it's like it's it's when community goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but we also have, like, again, with things like podcasts, with mm-hmm. things like um, the fact you can produce so much with relatively small production. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's leading to, you know, this decline of mainstream media, which is mm-hmm. very scary mm-hmm. because it means that people are not getting their news from one particular source. Mm-hmm. But it also means that now there's all these alternative perspectives Absolutely. that are great mm-hmm. and that we need. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and it's like, it's just, it's, it's, so I feel like it's an exciting time for storytelling. Absolutely. And like the, the slogan for Muzzle Link is community building through storytelling. Oh, great. And ultimately that's, you know, I want to be able to figure out how to do more of it. I want to be able to bring more people on mm-hmm. into it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the biggest thing we can do for Muslims in Canada right now, given everything we're up against, mm-hmm. is be better at telling each other's stories. Mm-hmm to each other absolutely non-muslims read it too yes but even my approach like because i'm now i'm I'm trying to start a series about islamophobia but Mm -hmm. then that's you know i was talking Mm -hmm. to you earlier about like that would incorporate not only just like understandings of our negative experiences islamophobia here but also how some forms of islamophobia are connected to people's actual lived experiences and something negative in the muslim majority world and we're all together now mm-hmm. in Canada, so there's there's chance for redemption yes. and reconciliation. Absolutely. But only if we work it only if we work it out, yeah. and we have the opportunity to do that mm-hmm. through stories. But are we taking it up? Absolutely. So that's kind of the next sort of thing I'm seeing, if, you know, to work on because I feel like because I've been waiting, I've been waiting for somebody else to do it. Mm-hmm. I've been like, come on, yeah, <laughs> this, this can't possibly be. This, somebody else must be thinking about this. Absolutely. But it looks like I might have to bring some people in and get help mm-hmm. and do it because I feel like it's very important right now. Absolutely. And given whatever politically is going to be happening, it's going to be really critical mm-hmm. that we start working on the issue of Islamophobia, but doing yeah. it in a, in a way that is focused on working with people who've had negative experiences Absolutely. with Muslims, mm-hmm. not just yelling at people exactly, and calling yeah. people Islamophobes. And just staying in your corner, you know. Yeah, and it's like, no, get... and, and also I mean, you have to face certain things about yourself. Because personally, what I think the big issue we have all to deal with mm-hmm. internationally is supremacy. Absolutely. So whether it be white supremacy or Muslim supremacy, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't really know how do you how do you look at something like Daesh, yeah. you know, or ISIS. That's mm-hmm. Muslims. Those are a bunch of Muslim supremacists. Yes. That's what they are. <laughs> exactly. Right. And if you look at dynamics happening in Muslim majority countries, mm-hmm. it's a lot of Muslim supremacy. Mm-hmm. If you look at what's happening in countries where they're persecuting Muslims, mm-hmm. well, it's it's another form of supremacy, mm-hmm. ethnically or religiously, that's trying to dominate things. But the bottom, you know, the denominator, mm-hmm. the common denominator. Mm-hmm is a supremacist narrative mm-hmm, absolutely and why is that rising mm-hmm. and how much does that have to do with that fact that people feel very uncertain absolutely. with the world and so instead of you know governments solving people's real problems mm-hmm. like if we look at what's going on with quebec right now mm-hmm. i feel this whole push for basically really going after muslim women yes. like they're gonna say it's everybody yes. it's like really that's, yeah that's um, exactly my but it, i think it's a distraction yeah. there's real serious problems in quebec economically absolutely. But we can't fix that. Yeah. But everyone's going to be happy because, look, we exactly. fixed this. We fixed this. And I think we have to understand, like, that's what we're politically dealing with right mm-hmm. now. People are going to promise to destroy a bunch of stuff yes. to show that they can accomplish something mm-hmm. because they can't, they don't want to mm-hmm. or they can't do the harder work exactly. of giving people what they really need, exactly. which is, like, economic stability and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think, like, worldwide, it has, right now, it seems that religion is the mainstream 
anything like to to deal with uh, rather than as you mentioned yeah. earlier rather than dealing with the real problem real yeah. issues in the society but it also seems and also it's great uh, too right because again if particularly mm-hmm. if depending on your religion you believe the, the end of the world's coming yes. well you know what I, we don't need to figure out about your pension <laughs> right now because the world's going to end before then so let's make sure that jerusalem's the capital Basically. and so that jesus can come back mm-hmm. and everything's gonna be fine yeah. and, and, and as muslims were doing the mm-hmm. same thing too it's like oh this is a sign this is a sign so don't worry about you know we're never going to have democracy, but we shouldn't want it anyways. Mm-hmm. We should want a caliphate. Yeah. And it's like, it, it's all a distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways, again, it's also all about hopelessness. Absolutely. It's like, well, we've broken the weather. We're never going to be able to fix it. It's like, well, we probably could fix it. If you took the pro- yes. production budget of mm-hmm. one Marvel movie, Seriously. <laughs> you could probably fix a part of an ocean. Definitely. Definitely. Right? <laughs> if we have the ability to do that, we could. We don't want you. Yeah. Or certain people don't want you. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to unite people to put pressure on those people to do it because we're too busy fighting each other. Exactly. Exactly. So that's why we need to be a bit more visionary in this. And that's mm-hmm. why for me, I'm a bit concerned sometimes in that we're all being played. Mm-hmm. So like people are like, oh, the white supremacists are doing this. I'm like, mm-hmm. but maybe in us obsessing over the white supremacists mm-hmm. and just yelling at them, calling them white supremacists instead of finding out what, why, or are, try they, to explain, you why know, are they doing this? Yes, like, exactly. why are they so upset? Or mm-hmm. trying to explain them like you're being played. Exactly. Cause then we could actually be Exchange. on the same page yes, and realize, definitely. Oh, wait a minute. You're, they're trying to divide definitely. us. Definitely. They're trying to make sure like everything. They're trying to make sure we mm-hmm. never see something in definitely common. Never. So we won't work together mm-hmm. and fight somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's what they're trying to do. Absolutely. So they're also, not only are they trying to make white people hate me, they're also trying to make me hate white people. Exactly. And we all have to be careful about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I can be really angry and I can call out racism, mm-hmm. I can call out white privilege, that sort mm-hmm. of thing, but I can never, I can't dehumanize that other Absolutely. person. Absolutely. That's dangerous. Whenever you know the other person's history or yeah. circumstances. It's like, yeah, they're being an idiot, but the truth is I have the capacity to be an exactly. idiot too. Like, mm-hmm. we all have the capacity to be very oblivious Absolutely. to our privilege. Absolutely we all do mm-hmm. so like and if everyone's very similar to you it's gonna be even harder to unlearn that stuff mm-hmm. so that's why i really try to focus on people like again going back to what i was trying to do with muslim link it's like muslims have to go back and look at the ways in which we discriminate against each mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. and other people before like i'm not saying before but we have mm-hmm. to do that at the same time in which we're calling out other people's discrimination at us because how can you teach something somebody somebody you've never learned yourself yes. if i've never unlearned something <laughs> how can i teach other people to unlearn something yeah (laughs) and uh it actually leads me to the other question which is uh how did it happen when did you become a muslim i have no idea how it happened (laughs) i always like to say i became muslim by osmosis Mm -hmm. um because again rationally makes no sense i was an atheist Mm -hmm. i became an atheist at eight for humanitarian reasons Mm -hmm. that's why i have a lot of sympathy towards people who become atheists Mm -hmm. i just have a problem with atheists who preach atheism Mm -hmm. because i feel like that's basically just a real religion then. Like, I feel like your atheism is a religion. Mm-hmm. Stop making it like it's not yeah, a religion. It's, it's a religion now. If you want everyone to be an atheist, that's yes. a religion now. Absolutely. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Whereas I was an atheist because I just, I had a problem with the supremacy aspect of religion. Oh, um, also, I had a problem with the idea that like God controls everything. Cause I'm mm-hmm. like, well, if God controls everything, then horrible things happen mm-hmm. to me and God let them happen. Why, why, is he a sadist? Like, what's wrong with him? And that's a legitimate question (laughs) that I feel like a lot of people do not answer. It is a legitimate question. Like, a lot of people do not answer those questions. And also, like, so people say, like, everything happens to They're much more divert to something else. Yeah, and it's like, that's a hard question. Mm -hmm. Like, why do bad things happen to good people? Like, that's a very hard question. Mm -hmm. And it's something you, you know, like, and, and, um, and also the problem is, like, if you've had some sort of happy little sheltered life and you act like you can answer that question for a person who's, like, lost everything. You're an idiot. Yes, don't definitely. do that. <laughs> don't so, so myself, like in terms of how I, I came to Islam was that, you know, I had conversation about religion with people who've really gone through some stuff. Mm-hmm. It was like women who were refugees mm-hmm. who lost their country, mm-hmm. had lost people, like had gone through some really scary stuff, which 
a lot of them, you know, we'll never even fully talk about because a lot mm-hmm. of refugee women don't talk about everything that they've exactly. gone through in a civil war mm-hmm. and, and when they're so escaping something. From yeah, right? Yeah. But they've gone through stuff. So then they were able to be able to talk about their faith mm-hmm. and even the em- things they would emphasize in, in the faith of Islam. I was like, okay, that's completely different than the religion I was taught by my friends. You know, I had, I had Muslim friends in high Absolutely. school. Mm-hmm. Some of them are still my friends. Like, one of them is still mm-hmm. like a close friend. And the way they taught Islam to me, I was like, so it's like Christianity. Basic. But... <laughs> But even more, even more arrogant. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's like Christianity, but you can be a big rich person. Okay, mm-hmm. and and then be like, I'm gonna give all my church. Like I remember even like the stupidest thing I would hear. Because mm-hmm. um, again, as somebody who grew up poor, mm-hmm. I was like, they'd be like, Yeah, I fast during Ramadan so I could feel like it's like to be poor. I'm like, What do poor Muslims do during yeah, Ramadan? Then? Basically, you idiot. Like I was like, I guess they stop themselves from being angry at you. <laughs> but you honestly think like this is the experience yeah. of poverty. Yeah. Gonna be, but everyone knows you're gonna be binging food mm-hmm. and watching Arabic soap exactly, operas, you know, all night. After- Shut up! Like, <laughs> shut up! So, um, I was like, I was. So, I mean, I had nothing against it. Like, I wasn't Islamophobic. Yeah, yeah. But, but you I, made right points actually <laughs> about. <laughs> yes, definitely. But I was like, this is not. I'm not interested in this. Yes, it doesn't. It doesn't speak to me. But mm-hmm. when I started tutoring for um, refugee families mm-hmm. that were Muslim, the moms would talk about Islam in this very different way, mm-hmm. and the things they would emphasize in it, I was just like. This religion is very interesting, mm-hmm. particularly around like j- because um, even around things about justice. Because again, one of the things I've always had an issue with with some forms of Christianity is this idea that like God can forgive you for mm-hmm. everything you've done. Where I was like, no, mm-hmm. God can forgive you for stuff you've done to God. If you've messed with somebody else's life, <laughs> that person. Yes. So I really like this idea, uh, and I find like not all Muslims know this, but like it's yeah. part of the religion. Where someone was like, in the afterlife, mm-hmm. all the blessings you've accumulated. Mm-hmm. If you've messed with somebody's leg they and they didn't forgive that. you, yes. it's all good. Like, it's such a basic... <laughs> it's going to be a transfer. It's, it's going to be a transfer of goods. It's a very interesting yes. trade-based yes. capitalist transaction. Yes. Basically. But it's such a good way... Like, I, I feel like this mm-hmm. needs to be emphasized more. Yes. And I mean, I've, I've worked with Muslim kids and I'm realizing, oh, they're not getting this part. Mm-hmm. Because if you get that part, you realize this is why you can't beat people. Yes. This is why you can't try to invade mm-hmm. people's land and take their stuff. Like, be you have A-O. to be very, very careful about your intentions. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? And interactions. With yeah, it's like, because there's going to be a debt. Mm-hmm. And it's not just Muslims who can get that Absolutely. from you. Absolutely. That's a great point. <laughs> right? Sometimes it can point. even be an animal. Exactly. So y'all going down, like we're all going yeah. down actually. So I really liked that because mm-hmm. I just, because of like, just, I, you know, I, I had grown up experiencing incest from, mm-hmm. from my grandfather mm-hmm. and just like, and really abusive things. Mm-hmm. So when you experience that kind of thing, you really want there to be some sort of judgment. Absolutely. Um, and you also don't want to be told to forgive everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Islam says, say, it's great to be yes. forgiven. You'll get a lot mm-hmm. of blessings for it, but you don't have to. And I like that because like, <laughs> it's because I feel like a lot of times the, the, the thing around forgiveness is actually used to manipulate. Yes. Victimize yes, people absolutely. and protect the victimizers. Yes. And so, so they would emphasize those sort of things. Mm-hmm. And then they'd also emphasize, like, I just found different passages in the Quran that are really fascinating. Like, you know, like there's a whole passage in the Quran about like, um, not forcing slave girls into prostitution Absolutely. but then it also says it's like but know that because it's sort of understood that they're probably yes. going to be forced into anyways yes. because you know but know that Allah, Allah, well no the the, the system's so horrible and mm-hmm. it's against slave people mm-hmm. and slaves right but it says no that Allah forgives them and it's like oh I, I like the fact that there's a god that thinks about slave girls yeah. Yeah. because no one thinks about Basically. slave girls now unfortunately mm-hmm. throughout Muslim history they also didn't think about slave yeah. girls Absolutely. but this isn't the religion you're mm-hmm. not supposed to be forcing them into prostitution mm-hmm. ISIS mm-hmm. I mean like because I mean mm-hmm. what was this so it, it's it's just, so again like it was interesting to sort of becoming Muslim but then also still having a critical eye so when I became Muslim mm-hmm. it wasn't in a Muslim student association mm-hmm. context it wasn't in any of this but so then when I started um, and it was just in, in my neighborhood mm-hmm. and in similar neighborhoods mm-hmm. like low income communities because that's where refugees end up but then what happened was that 
when I started trying to get involved in different Muslim groups, mm-hmm. I realized I was I, I I realized that like I had become Muslim, but almost I had to protect my faith from these spaces Absolutely. because they were they were just like every other religious space mm-hmm. that I didn't like. Yes. Mm-hmm. In that, they're like, "Yay, we're amazing. Mm-hmm. We're better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. We're better than the West." I'm like, "You're here." Mm-hmm. In the way, like again, I found myself like strangely sometimes becoming a bit like just like, well, you don't like it here, then leave. Like I was, just, you know, like which that was like, like I'm being xenophobic now, but you're just like just shot, yeah, yeah stop crapping yeah. on the West, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay? Mm-hmm. Like the fact that I'm free to convert to this religion, exactly, and it's not going to massively negatively my life because mm-hmm. there's no ID cards with my religion mm-hmm. on it is Western chill. And that's one of the other parts that I see sometimes in even different communities yeah. is that, you know, when even more so like in Islam especially yeah. is that uh, the view that you have personally as human being yeah. uh, you try to portray it as the view of the religion that you're from. It can be like uh, in any group of religion. Well, that you here's the problem. There's Islamic mm-hmm. ideals and then there's Muslim realities. Absolutely. And oftentimes I think what we do is we compare Islamic ideals to Western like, realities. Basically. So people are like, well, Muslim women got the right to work and vote and own their own property, you know, long before mm-hmm. women in the West did. I'm like, yeah. no, they didn't. Mm-hmm. Ideally, they did, mm-hmm. but that didn't actually translate into reality. Mm-hmm. So, shut up. <laughs> like, I mean, like, because mm-hmm. it's really, cause it's also, like, really dangerous if we keep thinking these things, because it's it's why, like, when somebody comes up and is like, do you understand what's going on in Iran, or do you understand what's going on in Saudi Arabia, or do you understand, like, this thing that happened in this part of Pakistan? Exactly. A lot of times I find Muslims who've grown up here, they don't literally know enough about what's happened in terms here. of how... How Sharia law is implemented. Yes. So, like, why would people be afraid of Sharia law? I'm like, uh, because this, 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 and this. Yeah. So, like, do you understand your own religious jurisprudence? Mm-hmm. Do you understand how it's been used to, you know, so the biggest thing is always with slavery. And that's why I found, like, a lot of, um, there's very little interfaith dialogue with, with black people Absolutely. in Canada. Absolutely. Because a lot of them will bring up the slave mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, well, you guys, it's like, no, you guys enslaved us too. Yeah. You did. You did. And Even you, before. You did, you did it before. <laughs> That's why there was this whole thing. Like that's mm-hmm. why you have an anti-black racist narrative mm-hmm. in Islam. It's because yeah. you were like black. Exactly. Um, so mm-hmm. you, you did it long before white people even yeah. were white. Mm-hmm. And then also it got ramped up out of the Ottomans. Mm-hmm. And there was actually two forms of slavery. There were slaves of blacks and slaves of whites. Mm-hmm. And there yes. was two slave girls. So, like Tunisia abolished. So Tunisia in the 19th century was able to abolish the enslavement of black people. Mm-hmm. But why did they do it? Because it ends up that a lot of the black people getting enslaved were actually Muslims. Basically. <laughs> and people are so racist, like, well, I'm just going to take any black person I randomly see. It's like, what? So, like, that's a part of our history. Yes. And, yes. And, and just, like, how we see how that kind of anti-black racism still f- and, and history of slavery affects the United States, you think mm-hmm. it's not affecting the Muslim world? You think Absolutely. it doesn't affect countries like Tunisia Absolutely. or Mauritius or, or Mauritania mm-hmm. <laughs> like, or all these things? It's like, of course it does. Mm-hmm. Um, even up to now sometimes even like personally when yeah. someone when we're talking about religion and I express my views yeah. and sometimes like mention Islam and stuff like that oh so you Muslim I'm like yeah because I don't look I'm not Arabic I don't well, look so I don't have a and huge and it's so bizarre right like I mean, one, of, one of my former students again I'm so proud of them like they, they, mm-hmm. they made this really interesting documentary which I'll send to you mm-hmm. about their experiences with anti-black racism at University of Ottawa mm-hmm. from people from the Muslim Student Association. Mm-hmm. But, like, it was really weird because, like, they were Somali and so the people were like, oh, you're not black, black. Mm-hmm. You're not, like, black people, like, from Rwanda. And so, like, you're, like, you're not black, black. You're not, like, black like black people from Rwanda. And it was, like, um, and they're, like, what? And it's really great because like, they're talking about that and then, like, they're overlaying, like, people in Rwanda yeah. who are praying because mm-hmm. there are Muslims in Absolutely, Rwanda. Yes. And it's also, like, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Or even, like, and then they do an interview with somebody who's Nigerian and she's just, like, yeah, I was, like, in the Masala and I was just reading the front of the Quran. They're, like, oh, you know how to read the Quran? Yeah. And they're, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course. It's like, how long, like, so there's this 
And again, I think it's important to explore those things because Absolutely. it's like, again, when people get like weirded out when white people don't know about something, mm-hmm. it's like your community doesn't know stuff too. Like yes. we're all ignorant in these really creepy, Absolutely. annoying ways. Mm-hmm. If you only think it's white people like that, it's so dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it also means you you will dehumanize them in a way yes. where you start looking at, oh, wait, people in your own community your are own. just the mm-hmm. same, yes. even worse in some cases because yes. they really should know better, but they don't. Because <laughs> it's like, you keep talking about how Islam is around the world. It means it's everywhere. Yeah. And it's spread to these, so these places longer, like, you know, in some cases, it's like, you know, it's, it's spread into Africa mm-hmm. just earlier than it's spread yes. into parts of the Middle East yes. or South Asia. Mm-hmm. So, but again, it, it, it's, it's, it's been interesting how this has informed, like, a lot of the anti-oppression work I do, because mm-hmm. I think it's made me less focused on, um, it's been made, made me more focused on anti-oppression versus just one thing over another um it's maybe definitely also more focused on any black racism because when you realize that you're experiencing any black racism from everyone everywhere in the world yes. it's a global phenomenon mm-hmm. you're like wow yes that's scary it puts a lot of things into perspective and and you're like but it's also like okay i'm, I'm scared of all y'all yeah. like i'm just like <laughs> you know because it's like you know it's like as a black person you travel mm-hmm. anywhere like it's yes. just you're gonna have the same issues in mm-hmm. china as you might have in india as you that's might have like whatever and so it also but it also um because I think one of the more disturbing early experiences I had was actually with a group of black Muslims mm-hmm. who were playing me a cassette by a prominent um, black Canadian um, Islamic okay. speaker mm-hmm. who was talking about how, like, as black Muslims, we shouldn't call. And it wasn't Nation of Islam. It was, just, it was, it was Sunni Islam. But how we shouldn't call another black person our brother mm-hmm. because they eat swine and drink alcohol <laughs> and i remember just looking around being like so did i just join the nazis because my my white mom raised me to see every black person exactly. as my brother and and that's generally how they've seen me because yeah. mm-hmm. we got to survive this place mm-hmm. i don't know what you're trying to teach me right now mm-hmm. this is messed up mm-hmm. so those elements i think i think what's been interesting for me you know that i've stayed muslim for 17 years is mm-hmm. that i've been able to see um i've been able to find the truth in the religion for myself absolutely um and try to protect that from try to find other people who see the same way but that's also why i just don't ascribe to one space Mm -hmm. or whatever because i realize it's just you never never know never know what's going to happen there Mm -hmm. and people can seem all really nice in one Mm -hmm. way but then say something really weird and you're like yeah i can't deal with this because i don't want to lose like i think we need to understand that like our faith my faith in 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 allah is Mm -hmm. not going to change but Mm -hmm we have to be careful with how people are going to see the the, 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 the relationship thing. with Muslims. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be so much more mindful of trying to deal with these issues mm-hmm. so that people just don't feel alienated Absolutely. from the community. Mm-hmm. At the same time, though, one thing I would say that's been positive is that, like, I don't believe Islam is a private faith. Mm-hmm. Islam is very much like mm-hmm. you have to be Muslim with other mm-hmm. Muslims. And again, it goes back to this issue of mental health because I really believe that, again, you improve yourself from interacting with people who you have very little in common with. Yes. Because it, it can cause conflict, but Absolutely. it also can cause empathy. Yes. And, and recognizing yes. and recognizing that actually, no, I have a bias. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes, you know, for himself, like the person I work with who's a publisher of Muslim Link, I had all these biases against him. You know, he's, <laughs> he's, he's an Arab guy, you know, a Syrian who grew up in Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. could probably pass as a white guy, like pass <laughs> as an Italian at least, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like I just had all these ideas of like a Muslim guy because again, yeah. I've been Muslim, but I generally don't interact a lot with yeah. Muslim men, oh. particularly not who are my age and younger, mm-hmm. unless they're like little boys. Yeah. And I had all these biases, but he's actually been more supportive of me than all these progressive people. Yes. <laughs> so um, 
that's the great thing about being in community is mm-hmm. that you you get to you're forced to unlearn your own biases. Absolutely. And I believe that's why it's it's Islam is very clear that like you can't you can't be Muslim by yourself in a monastery. Absolutely. You got to be with people. Mm-hmm. It's it it makes you less egotistical. It makes you realize mm-hmm. your shortcomings, um, and it makes you realize the diversity of humanity. Because I think mm-hmm. that's a that's a problem right now. The way we live right now is like you might have your immediate family and you might have your coworkers, but in the end, you only surround yourself with people you like. Mm-hmm. That's not how the world works. Mm-hmm. You have to surround yourself with people that you care about, even if you don't like mm-hmm. them. And Absolutely. that's the that's the benefit of being part of a religious community. Absolutely. It's like we have this sense of care. We don't really like each other, but we do want the best for each other, mm-hmm. and we have to learn how to work together to to achieve that. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And it's actually one of the whole idea of uh, this podcast, which is the community bringing together uh, different faith, yeah. no faith, or whatever. Yeah. But as you mentioned earlier, uh, being with the other shows you your own shortcomings. Yeah. But it shows you that you know there are other opinions, there are other perspectives, yeah. and when it all comes together, we can just get better as a community. Yeah. And and I think also like and again, this sounds a bit morbid, but it's not as a Muslim. Like you know, mm-hmm. this idea of death. In fact, they're all going to die, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is in many ways, you know, in a religious context, that's one of the most important things. You know, the idea that we're all supposed to go to each other's janazas if we can, that we're all, like, we're just, you know, their funeral, that sort of thing. Because I always think any petty thing gets put into perspective when you realize, okay, but if this person died tomorrow, would I feel really bad if I didn't resolve this right now? I probably should try to resolve this right now. And I, so I feel like that's the elder element of religion is that it can, it, it puts that life part into perspective. It's like, this is all very temporary. Mm-hmm. You might want to weigh your priorities in terms of like is this fight really necessary Absolutely. right now Absolutely. and um, I'm still learning that myself I'm still not great at that myself but it's it's definitely the thing that I'm kind of really focusing on right now is just like that element of as Muslims we're not supposed to fear death mm-hmm. how can that become something that's not a death cult mm-hmm. but actually a way of really embracing life but also really becoming much more empathetic and compassionate and 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 helpful mm-hmm. begin you realize it's like wow we don't have very long it's kind of a rough time exactly, exactly. um so let's just not waste our time trolling absolutely yeah and in this beautiful message i thank you very much again <laughs> yes. and i'm sure we have much more to talk exactly. about maybe on another session and thank you very much perfect thank you so much thank you thank you for listening please share subscribe and review also you can follow us on instagram facebook or twitter And until next time, never forget, you're as unique as the universe. Peace be with you.